Can I just say I love you? I love being back here, and uh, it's just great to see what's happening. Um, 31 people getting baptized today. Watching Pastor Greg baptize people makes me want to get baptized all over again. Can you, anybody hear me on that one? I mean, the infectious joy, but those of you who have a family member, friend who got baptized today, we're just, we're cheering you on and, and the one you love. Just, and, and again, we've got a baptism service coming up on August 21st on the beautiful shores of Lake Erie and Vermilion at, at Beulah Beach. We're gonna eat together, worship together, have a baptism, and we'd love to have you join us that night. Uh, and if you wanna get baptized, just go to our website, type in search bar, baptism, and we'd be glad to do it. Well, today we get to dig back into one of the most uh, really profound books of the Bible, and that's the book of Romans. Several months ago, we did the first half of Romans, now we're gonna do the second half. And this is not just like studying the facts about the Bible. We've said when you read the Bible, it's not intended to be like a library, where you just go and you get knowledge, you fill your head with knowledge. It's meant to be like a what? Like a, we say like a coffee shop, right? You go and you're meeting with someone as you read the Bible. So as I read the Bible and as we listen to what God says to Romans, we're meeting with Jesus. Like he wants us to know him and to encounter him. And really through the centuries, we're reading a letter that has changed lives across centuries. If we had more time, I'd tell you more stories, but let me just tell you one. Way back in 386 AD, that's a long time, a couple years before I was born, this guy named Augustine is, is in the garden. He's in the backyard of his friend Olipio, and, and he's just, he's, he's really broken, like he's weeping. And he says, there are things in my life, there are habits in my life right now that I can't break. And I want to be a different person. I've tried to follow God, but I just feel like I'm stuck. And and so he, he begins, he finds a scroll of the book of Romans, and he begins to read the book of Romans. And here's what he would later write. He would say, a clear light flooded my heart, and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. And he would become, Augustine, one of the greatest theologians of all time. I could tell you about Martin Luther in the 1500s. We could talk about John Wesley in 1700s. And I could tell you lots of stories about people today whose lives have been transformed by, by encountering Jesus in this book, and especially in the book of Romans. So this letter, Romans, has had huge impact, and we're going to see uh, today a reminder of why and how the message can change us too. If you're wondering, like, I would like a new start, or I, I feel stuck, or I feel discouraged, or whatever, how can I encounter Jesus? I am so glad you're here uh, today. So here's where we are in the letter. You're gonna see a, uh, an outline of the book here on the screen. We did chapters one to eight earlier. Now we turn to the remaining section. So we call it what remains, what remains in the book of Romans, but what remains in my own life in response to what Jesus has done with, for me. So we've said this, that it's been said that the, that the Bible, the purpose of the Bible is telling us how to get right with God and how to live right with God. That in the most important evaluation of your life, it's not your performance evaluation at work, and not what other people around you think about, not what your family thinks about you. The most important evaluation in your life is what God, a holy, almighty, matchless God, the Heavenly Father, thinks of you. And, and you heard in some of the stories today, it's like that can be a scary thing. But what we find out is that the Bible tells us how you can get right and live right with God. So it tells us both the bad news that we've got a diagnosis that we're really in bad shape spiritually, and it also has the good news, how do we find the cure? So let's turn to Romans chapter 10. And if you don't have a paper Bible with you, if you just download the Bible app on your phone, if you haven't already, and you can turn to Romans in your Bible app, and uh, 
and, and, and read along with us in Romans chapter 10, the sixth book of the New Testament. Just want to say hi to our friends at Olmsted Falls Campus, Lorraine Correctional, really glad. I was supposed to be with you this past Monday, and uh, I got sick. I didn't want to share my germs, and so June 6th, I hope to be with all you guys at Lorraine Correctional. And then those of you who are engaging in your kitchen, your patio, your living room, on a boat on Lake Erie, wherever you are today, we're really glad to have you uh, with us. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse one. We'll read the first nine verses. I'm reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible, and here's what it says. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. That's Paul's fellow citizens. He's a Jew himself. He says, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's a misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with themselves. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by, this key phrase here, trying, trying to keep the law. For Christ has already <clears throat> accomplished the purpose for which the law was given, and as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. There's that little, how do you get right with God? We're gonna hear that. For Moses writes that the, law, the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth, and don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In other words, you don't have to go really far and searching. And he says it's close. The message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message uh, about faith that we preach, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? And that's what we're talking about. How can I make sure I'm right with God? It's a great book to launch in because Paul summarizes his key message. If you wanna follow along in your notes, you'll see you pick maybe some up on the way in. If not, you go to our website, gracemay.org, just click the digital bulletin, you'll see the notes beginning uh, right there. But two big points. First of all, as we said, in the most important grade evaluation that you'll ever have in life, and that is with God, here's what we learn. Our best efforts are what? Never, never enough, never enough. Not one of us passes the grade, not Mother Teresa, nobody. Think of the most spiritual person in your life. They'll never, ever be good enough to make it on their own. Um, you might go, well, you know, I think, I think I am a pretty good person, though. Like, I think if God graded on a curve, I'd probably be in the upper 50 percentile, you know? Like, I, I, I think I'm a fairly good person. I got a pretty good shot about getting my ticket stamped to heaven. That's what we want to believe, right? Uh, in fact, it's the pattern of every religious system in the world except for Christianity. When you look at Islam, you gotta have the five pillars of, of Islam. When you look at Hinduism, or if you look at any kind of faith, every system of religion is you have to do enough to earn God's favor except for one faith, and that's Christianity. We're gonna talk about that in a second. You just receive as a gift. But here's what, they did a survey of 1,000 randomly chosen Americans on this topic, and here's what was reported. They found out that about half of American adults agree that if a person is generally good or does good things for others, they will what? Earn, that's a key word there, they'll earn a place in heaven. They're like, I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm gonna earn my way to heaven, you know? And you know what does Paul say? Loud and clear he goes, hey folks, let me just tell you, 
Our best efforts are never enough. Look what he says again in verse three. He says, folks who try it this way, they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying, trying to keep the law. That's religion, friends, at the core. We try, we try to keep the 10 commandments, we try to be good, we try to make it our own, and what happens when that's our MO? You know what happens? We live with insecurity. Because we're always wondering, we're like, man, I don't know. Like, am I good enough? I, th- I mean, I'm a pretty good person. Like, I think I haven't killed anybody, you know? I haven't, but I don't know. Have I done enough to maybe earn God's, like, acceptance that maybe I can get to heaven? And, and you live with this perpetual sense of anxiety because you're always wondering, maybe I need to do a little bit more to earn God's favor. Someone might go, well, I, I know I've done a lot of good things. I mean, I go to church every week, and, and not only do I go to church, I don't fall asleep in church, you know? You know, not like that guy a couple down from me is always like nodding off, you know? And I don't know if Pastor Jonathan sees him and everything, and I do see you, I see, no. But I, you know, I'm, I, 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 I was confirmed, I did my first communion, I mean, am I good? What does Paul say? He goes, no, our good works and religious background will never be enough. Uh, someone else says, well, I've really tried hard to keep, you know, God's commands. I mean, I've, I've, I've got the Ten Commandments, like, posted on the wall, you know, and I've, I've never really robbed a bank or something like that. You know what Paul says here, verse 5? He goes, Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to how many? All of its commands. Ouch. That means that 99% won't cut it. Only a perfect score will do when it comes to God's command. So if you want to earn your way to heaven, you got to be perfect. Let me just ask a question before you, before you raise your hand. Just think about this. How many of you have never, ever messed up in your entire life? Can I see your hands? Okay, that's what I thought. And those of you online, I see your hands as well. Not one of you got a hand up, right? They're all like, nope, not me. Right? Because none of us, we've never, we'll, we'll never, our good works are never enough. Our efforts to obey God's commands always come up short. You go, what about a person who's really sincere in what they believe, but maybe they're a bit off? Paul writes about that. He says in verse two, if you look, he goes, I, I know it enthusiasm some people have for God, but it's what kind of zeal? misdirected zeal, they're clinging to their own way. Friends, I'm convinced this is one of the major stumbling blocks in the world today, even for Christians. You've probably heard it. Someone goes, hey, Jonathan, are you telling me that like my Hindu neighbors are not gonna go to heaven? I mean, they're like awesome neighbors. They're really, really good. My, my Muslim neighbors, my fill in the blank, Like they're really sincere, you know, about their faith. And you know what Paul would go? He'd go, it's misdirected zeal. Because sincerity alone cannot save you. We get this in other areas of life. Uh, I was driving on vacation a few years ago. I'm in this rental car, and it drives way smoother than my car here in Cleveland. So I'm driving along. I'm not using the cruise control. And all of a sudden, I see these flashing lights behind me. I'm like, I don't know if they're giving us maybe like, um, what do they call it when they, they drive you into a city? Uh, escort, right? Is this an escort? 
Or is it maybe, nope, this is not an escort. What do you do in a moment like that? I go, hey, Mary, you wanna take over driving for a little bit here? Switch seats, you know? Guy comes up. What if I told him, I go, officer, I know I was going 78 miles an hour, but I tell you, I, I sincerely thought that the speed limit was 70 miles an hour. Would he go, you know, on that basis, I mean, if you were sincere, I mean, yeah. I mean, no ticket at all for you, young man. Uh, that didn't happen, did it? I drove away with the reminder of how much money I just cost our family by not paying attention to the cruise control. I was sincere in what I thought, and I was sincerely what? Wrong. A few years ago, I took my son, Andrew. We were at a, down watching the tribe at Progressive Field, and we're get there a little bit early for the game so we can catch a couple of foul balls, and I see these people from Grace Church uh, sitting on this little rock wall in between rocket, you know, mortgage, field mortgage, the queue, whatever they call it. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and between there and the progressive field, so I go, hey, you guys look, is everything okay? Look down, and they're like, oh, man. We had these tickets, you know, right behind home plate. I mean, just a beautiful night. We couldn't wait to come here. And, and uh, you know, and it was just, look at the weather. This is amazing. Got childcare for the kids. And we get up to the gate agent, and we found out our tickets were for last night's game. Oh, man. They sincerely thought, what if they told the gate agent, we sincerely, I'm telling you, we sincerely thought these were tickets for tonight. What does the gate agent say? Sorry, you gotta go get some more tickets, right? You can be as sincere as you want to be, but if you're sincerely heading the wrong direction and you're going on your own terms, you pay a price. I Man, I was to say, this, this is not my, this is what the Bible says that Paul is telling us here, he's going, people try on their own terms. They think they can be good enough. They think their religious background is gonna somehow count enough or they'll go like, I think I'm going to get you know, in, 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 into heaven on my own. And, and Paul says this, he goes, you know what the hard news is? You'll never be good enough. You'll never be religious enough. You'll never obey enough. And it doesn't matter how sincere you are. That's the hard news. Religion is all about do. It's what I do to try to make it. And Paul says, that doesn't work. You can do until you know, the cows come home and you're not gonna make it to heaven based on what you do. That's the tough news. Here's the good news. This is the really good news. This is the message of Romans, the message of the Bible, how we can get right with God and insist that God in his incredible love for you, you, he knows you by name, made it possible for us, you, me, everybody, to be right with him. God makes us right. This is Paul's message. God makes us right with him only by our, what? Our faith in Jesus. Listen to verse four here. Here's what he says. He says, all who believe in him and Jesus are made, what? Right with God. You want, how do you get right with God? You, you trust in Jesus. It begins, faith begins with surrender. It's, it's me saying, God, I can't. I can't do enough on my own, but God, I believe that your son Jesus, he can, and he did. And he's my only hope. He took the punishment for my sin, all my mess ups. And here's what Paul says a few chapters earlier. He says, God the Father sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger 
against us. Friends, all of us have a debt we can never repay. None of us has been perfect. So we all have things that we're embarrassed about in our past. I do, my wife does, you do. We all have things that if we could rewind the videotape, we'd go, oh my, some of you young people going, what's a videotape? If you could go back in your social media posts or something like that, you'd say there are things we've all done, right, that we just, we, we would take back. Like we would say, I, I messed up. I haven't scored 100%. And what faith does is faith is a trust transfer from my ability to Christ. That's the heart of Christianity. That what I say is this. I say, Jesus, when you came and lived a perfect life, you died in my place. I transfer all of my mess-ups and regrets to you. You paid the penalty. You were my substitute. And Jesus, I transfer your perfect record in by faith to my life, that you lived a perfect life. And so I give you all of my, my horrible report cards spiritually, and I receive your perfect record. And, and you go, that really can happen? And friends, that's the gospel. You believe in Jesus. And he says, you call in the name of the Lord and you're saved. That you accept Jesus not only as your substitute and in your sacrifice for your sin, but you also say, Jesus, I accept you as the Lord of my life, the leader. Listen how he goes on. Let me jump to verse nine here, and here's what he says. He says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Something important to know here, there's something in Jewish thought that we've, we've really taken into a, a, our own culture, and it's this, that in Jewish thought, the heart was the center of who you are. So when Jesus, a Jewish man himself, says, what's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your what? All your heart. In the Old Testament, when they're looking for a, a person to reign as king and over Israel, and Samuel goes and he's you know, evaluating people, and, he, and God says, People look at the outward appearance, but I look at the what? I look at the heart. God sees into your heart. Paul says, if you believe in your heart, what that means is that's, that's control center for Jonathan Schaefer. That's control center for you, that your heart, like even today we tell people, you go, hey, I love you with all my heart, right? The heart's with you, right? We don't mean literally your physical heart, but we're saying the core of who I am. And he says, if you believe in your heart, like if you believe at the core of who you are, that Jesus really came into the world, lived a perfect life, died in your place, and that you can know him, and you openly declare, he says, that Jesus is Lord. What does he mean by that? There's a line in your notes that says this, genuine faith in Christ leads me to renounce every other master, including myself, and to surrender to Jesus my total allegiance. That's what we said about the people getting baptized. They go under the water, I'm dying to my own, my own way of doing things, <laughs> and I come up out of the water, and it's like I have a new life. I listen for God's direction. I follow Jesus' instructions. I hold on to his promises. I live without shame as one of his followers. Residual stuff from my respiratory infection last week. Sorry about that. <laughs> I wanna ask you today, have you taken that step? Can you really say, I believe in my heart, Jesus, what you did, you did for me. You see, religion is all about do, what you do to try to earn God's favor, and a relationship with God, the gospel of Jesus, is done. What Christ has done for you, it's already accomplished. You put your trust in him, you transfer your trust in Jesus, you believe in your heart, 
You declare that he's Lord. And friends, you, you get your ticket stamped to be a part of God's family. You can know for sure that you're going to be on your way to heaven. You go, okay, time out a second, John. How do I do that again? Like, let's go back. If it's not about what I do, I can never earn my way there. How do, how do I do it? Here's what he says in Romans 10, verse 13. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Will be saved. You call on the name of the Lord, you're gonna be saved. You go, how do I call on the name of the Lord? You, you begin to talk. You just, you have a conversation with Jesus and say, Jesus, there's some things in my life I'm not proud of. I've really made a mess. And uh, I might look good to others, but I know there's some brokenness inside. I've, I've not scored 100%, and uh, probably not even 80 or 90, but I believe you had a perfect life. And Jesus, I trust in you. I ask your perfect record to apply to me. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life, and I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be in the captain, the, the driver's seat of my life. And friends, when you do that, you, you're right with God, and everything changes. And when you belong to him like that, there's a sense of deep satisfaction like nothing else. I'm telling you that knowing that you belong to him, being absolutely confident that, that you're on the path with God, that Jesus will never leave you, and that when this life comes to an end, the last couple weeks I've been to two funerals. One lady driving down you know, a road and she has a heart attack is all we can figure out. 53 years old and passed away. Kim, love her. Another guy did a funeral for him and he and his wife watch a movie. Next morning he's not awake and she realizes he's, and you just never know. You never know that when the day that you're, you wake up, you never know if you're gonna have that, that day. But there are things you can know. You can know for sure that you're right with God. Let me close with a story maybe you've heard before a number of years ago, true story. Uh, the community leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina wanted to honor one of their hometown heroes, a guy by the name of Billy Graham. Maybe you've heard of him. He's traveled around the world and spoken to more people in person than anybody else in all of history. So uh, Billy Graham was about 90 years old at the time and he goes, you know, I'm gonna have to say no because I'm dealing with Parkinson's and they prevailed and they're like, we well, don't have to say anything, no big address, you know, we just want you to come, we wanna honor you. So he goes, shows up. And they say some really nice things. They're like, do you want to just say a word? He's like, yeah, I would. So he gets up to the podium and he's, he's like, you know, 90. He just died a couple years ago. And he says, uh, I want to tell you a story. He says, there was a, a day when a guy by the name of Albert Einstein, who was Time Magazine, called him the man of the century, the 20th century. And Albert Einstein's leaving Princeton, New Jersey on a train. And he's sitting there in the car and the conductor comes down the, the aisle and he's checking people's tickets and comes to Albert Einstein. And Albert Einstein looks in this pocket. He can't find his ticket. Looks here and he looks in his briefcase. And he's on the, and he can't find his ticket. And the conductor goes, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. You're good, all right? I believe you got a ticket. Don't worry about it. Keeps on going down the aisle. And he starts punching other tickets, looks back, and he sees the great physicist on his hands and knees looking under the bench, and he's looking for the ticket. And he goes back, and he goes, Dr. Einstein, seriously, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I believe you got a ticket. Like, just chill. I probably didn't say that back in the... But he said, you're, you're good. You're good. Dr. Einstein looks, and he goes, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> he needed to find the ticket to figure out where he's going. And Billy Graham says... You see the suit I'm wearing today, Billy said? He goes, this suit is a brand new suit. I bought this suit for two occasions. For today, thank you for the honor. And the next time you see me wear it, I'm gonna be in a casket. 
He says, but when you see me in a casket, I want you to be sure of this, that you have every confidence that I know who I am and I know where I'm going. And with that, he sat down and people applauded. Friends, that's the gift of the gospel, that when you know Jesus, you can know who you are, that you're a child, a son or a daughter of the most high God, that you're accepted by him, you're loved, you're in the family forever. And because you also know who you are, you can be sure where you're going. Friends, there is no greater gift in life than to have a sense of your identity being rock solid, not dependent on anybody else around you except for him, and then to know because of the greatest savior in history that you can know for sure where you're going. Aren't you grateful? Let's thank him together, all right? you pray with me? Jesus, I just wanna thank you today. Thank you that you had my name, you had all of our names in mind, that when you came and then you went to the cross and you died, and I can say with the Apostle Paul, with his testimony where he said, Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, for those who have put their trust in you, uh, would you just encourage them today, Lord? Break any chains. Free them from any discouragement. May they live with joy and a sense of gratitude that they know who they are and they know where they're going. Father, some are still in process. They're trying to figure this out. Maybe this is sort of new. Thank you, Lord, that you're always available for us to call on your name and Lord, I pray that those here who maybe are in process investigating your claims, that they would come to the place of declaring, Jesus, my trust is in you. I believe in you with my heart, and I declare that you're my Lord. Lord, I, I pray that, that you would just draw them close and, and that we could have live with that assurance, Lord, that we too know who we are and we know where we're going. Thank you for making that possible. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.